I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back, folks, here on another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Back in our every other week rhythm. And since our last episode, the Wolverines picked up a commitment. We know that the point guard recruiting scenario or race at Michigan is one of the most intriguing recruiting storylines period, as Michigan had three top-ranked point guards all coming in in succession in June. And the final point guard to come in was Doug McDaniel. He ultimately committed to the University of Michigan. So to talk to me about that and talk to you about that, as he does every episode here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, is my guy, my man. He was a standout player at the University of Michigan before being a first-round draft pick in the NBA playing 10 years in the pros, and now one of the best broadcasters around. And as I always introduce him first, my friend Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? I'm well. It's really good to catch up, Sam. And, and I hope your summer's good, your family's great, uh, life seems like it's back to normal. And I'm excited to talk some hoops. You know, the, the majority of the M players are back on campus. I would think that only Hunter and Devontae Jones, um, who have until July 7th to make their NBA decisions, I think it's pretty obvious for both of them what what they'll do. Wouldn't you agree with that? I absolutely would agree with that, and I think they got some valuable experience. Uh, You know, valuable experience in working their games, seeing what the scouts thought about them or saying about them, what they need to work on. That's that's some valuable stuff. And then I think Michigan fans sort of getting their first glimpse or dose of Devontae Jones. His his mid-range game was – uh, one of the things that people were talking about in that G League combine. Yeah, no, I, I heard really good things about both of them. And and it's clear, I, I, I believe that by going through that process, that that they will come back hungry and have more clarity. Um, you know, a, as an example, Dwayne Washington from Ohio State, you know, he blew up. He played great. And he's probably not going back to Ohio State. No, he said he's staying in the um, draft. Yeah, yep. and, and that makes sense because he went there and he said, you know what, I'm an NBA player. Um, my game is is finely tuned. It's ready to go. Um, and he, he had that validated. So for Hunter and Devontae, they they have clarity in the other direction. Like, okay, you know what, I've, I've learned some things. I'm ready to go. And it's really important because, you know, coming back the first week in July, you make your decision. July and August are the two greatest months to improve your game. Um, they're the best to separate because so many players, they enjoy the summer. They relax and they're not really grinding. But but that that's when you can really make a name for yourself, build your confidence. And and before we we get into the you know the point guards a little bit, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think is that guy from Michigan that's going to grow his game the most? The, the the player that was was good last year, but now all of a sudden he's really going to take a big step forward. Who's that guy to you? Uh, man, I I. I... I mean, it's, it's going to sound like a chalk pick, but I, I do think it's Hunter. I think Hunter, you know, while he had a fantastic freshman season, we saw as they got deeper in the year, and definitely when they got in the tournament and the scout was was well-defined on him, 
uh, that they knew they really had to jump one shoulder on him. They knew they didn't have to really play him on the perimeter. Uh, These are things that I think he's going to be better at this coming year. I think he's going to be a guy who you're going to have to double team. Like that was one of the real differences down the stretch of the season. Teams that felt like they didn't have to double team Hunter anymore. You know, he was able to take advantage of double teams in the early going because they they really didn't have the book on him. And so I think he will bring that back, that element back to the offense. He's going to make the other guys around him better. I do think Brandon Johns is a candidate. I think he's going to be better. uh, But I I think the guy you're going to see make the biggest strides is Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, a couple of comments about both of them. Um, I think you'll find this interesting. I got on the phone last week with Luca Garza, and and we had a really good conversation. I was very curious to get his take on Hunter, and and he's been a mentor. They've spent a lot of time in the off season, and the thing that that Luca told me that was surprising is how good Hunter Dickinson is shooting the ball from fifteen to seventeen feet. He said he doesn't have three point range, and that. You know, that may be something that, that, that scouts are going to look at and, and worry about. But he said he's a much better 15-foot jump shooter than anybody knows. So I think that might be the next area of development. And, and the other guy you mentioned, we're, we're on the same page because I think Brandon Johns is going to make a big jump as a senior. 12 minutes per game last year. He's behind Isaiah Livers, four points, two boards. I think that he could double or triple his numbers. Seniors see the end. They, they've they learned a lot what it takes. They've been mentored, and now it's their job. Um, I think that that at the end of the year, Brandon Johns, with his athleticism, uh, I think he could he could get some all-Big Ten recognition um, on a really good team that, that has a chance to win a championship. So I'm curious what you think about him on the offensive end, Tim, because uh, right now we know that Brandon Johns does have three-point range. I, I mean, I think – uh, you you want to see what he does with volume uh, when he takes a lot more threes. But I think we watching him in high school, seeing him in a limited capacity here, we know he has a, a little stroke. And then at the same time, his athleticism around the rim, he can go get it off the rim, put shots back. But I'm curious, do, do you think we're going to see him this year be a guy who you could throw the ball to and have him get some offense? Is he going to be able to put it on the deck? Uh, you know, is he are, is he going to be able to play with his back to the basket where he would back guys down? But, it you know, it was pretty much he was going to back you down and and try to go up with a with a half hook or try to, you know, do an up and under and get to the rim. There was no real like defined move that he had uh, back to the basket. Do you think we're going to see, you know, one of those elements to his game this year? So so I don't want anybody saying. Tim is saying that Brandon is good as Giannis. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that he is such a tough cover because he's long enough and athletic enough to cover guys that are, are threes and fives. Um, but, but he can be a little bit of a bully. I feel like Giannis Antetokounmpo where I don't like Giannis, the three point shooter. I like Giannis (laughs) where he puts his shoulder into somebody's chest and bullies them and always tries to improve his position and finishes over the top. Okay. I, I just, I think where you're looking in the big 10, so many teams are going with that undersized power forward, like the six, six guy. And, and there's no problem with Brandon covering them, but I think that they're going to have a tough time dealing with him. And if you look around the big 10, there's a lot of teams that are going to be going small like that. 
And that's a big reason why I think Brandon's going to be a tough cover. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you mentioned Dwayne Washington earlier. Not sad that he's on his way out the door no, at, no. at all. That guy, <laughs> no, he and he deserves it. You know, I I I I love to see Buckeyes do well. I want them to go to the NBA. I want EJ Liddell. <laughs> I love those guys. Right? Yeah, I think EJ is coming back. He was in a uh, they yeah, took a team picture the other day and he was in it. So, you know, we'll see. But <laughs> but let's talk about the addition to Michigan's uh, recruiting class 2022 point guard and to bring people up to speed. You remember Jaden Bradley, the five-star point guard, he was the first to visit early in the month, right? But he made it clear and his dad made it clear that he's probably not going to decide until September. He's He had some other visits he wanted to take and wanted to take his time with the process. Then Seth Trimble came in a little over a week later, right? And Seth, was he still had Carolina to go visit and maybe Wisconsin. And then Doug McDaniel came in, the guy who they had seemingly been in the best place with maybe back in the spring, but things had kind of died down a bit as far as the the fervor with which he seemed to be looking at Michigan. But he came on the visit, Tim, blown away by the experience that that I heard his mom really liked it too. And he seemed really cognizant of what was going on with point guard recruiting elsewhere. He wasn't going to let one of those other guys beat him to the punch. He jumped on it and said, hey, I'm going to bet on myself. And by that, I, I think he meant, you know, you look around, you got, you know, you got some point guards here. You got Frankie Collins, right? Zeb Zeb Jackson factors in somewhat still. Another guy who we're going to talk about later in the podcast, Kobe Bufkin, factors into that mix. And I think he had some questions about that. But as he got ready to to look around and see other point guards maybe jumping on that spot, he wasn't going to let them do it. He wasn't going to worry about depth chart. He decided to become a Wolverine. Yeah, it's a bold move. Um, I believe Devontae Jones could conceivably could. come back next year, too. Yep. And so there's a lot of depth at that position. And and if you go in and Frankie Collins is better than you, he's better than you for the you know the, the, the first three years of your career. Um, but from Michigan's perspective, and I've said this before, I think point guard is the most important position. And I love the idea of playing dual point guards. Next year, Devontae Jones and Eli Brooks are going to be a dynamic point guard backcourt they can both handle they can both run the offense but specifically why does Michigan want another small point guard you had Xavier Simpson outstanding player great career Mike Smith did a really good job last year but there there's the the line of thinking that small point guards can create problems for you because in a half court game there's a mismatch you can't switch one on five very well with a small point guard but the thing is that when you made the commitment to Frankie Collins, it fits really well because it's not like you're taking out a small point guard and putting in a tall point guard. You're kind of putting the same size guy in there. And and so it really helps your rotations. Both guys are going to be dynamic playmakers. They 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 are going to thrive in a in a fast game. And and I also like the fact that, especially with Doug, if he's going to be picking up full court, because when I watched his his hype video, that's the one thing that stood out to me. People do not like playing against him because he he covers below the ball. His body is so <laughs> low to the ground that his eyes and his hands and his shoulders are right at the same level where people are dribbling. And he makes guys go faster than they want. And so if if you've got wings like Michigan has, 
that's going to be uh, that's going to be the best case scenario is to play as fast as you possibly can. You know, Caleb Houston, he wants to run. Um, how do you get him out there? Well, you've got a point guard that's going to make plays. Isaiah Barnes wants to run. Frankie Collins wants to run. Kobe Bufkin wants to run. So the way that you get them in a fast game is to pressure the ball. And and so I think that I think it makes a lot of sense to bring in two point guards that are about the same size and the same high intensity level. Yeah, man. I I, I think that when you look at the career of or the you know the careers of the top small point guards, I think the way you mitigate your size disadvantage, the way they mitigated their size disadvantage was exactly what you said, being ball hawks, being pests. I've heard, and you played against this guy during your pro career, Tim, but they would say that about Muggsy Bogues, that he would just be in your shorts. Bud Webb, another guy like that would just be in your shorts. You hear a lot of that. You see a lot of that same sort of ball pressure, tenacity with a Doug McDaniel. The one thing that I want to see, and we'll talk to Phil Hubbard about this coming up, is how is he as a jump shooter? Because you talk about limiting, you know, limiting the disadvantage of your size. You know, he's going to be a guy. You got to get an effective mid-range game. And you need to be an effective jump shooter. Now, right now, just, you know, what we see, the small sample space we see, I think we can fairly say he is a better jump shooter than Xavier Simpson, right? I think that's reasonable yeah, to say. Yeah. Reasonable yeah, to say, but yeah. we we he needs to to be up around, you know, to ideally to be up around. Can he be in the in the thirty seven, thirty eight percent from distance? You know, thirty nine percent from distance. If he can get in that range, it makes him a much bigger threat in pick and roll scenarios. Guys can't go under those screens. They aren't going to leave you. They aren't going to cheat uh, because you can knock down a jumper. That's one of the things that I want to see. With Doug McDaniel, one of the things that I'm anxious to talk to Phil Hubbard about. Yeah, I um, I, I agree with you. And there's so much talent in in the the freshman class and uh, the guys that committed. Um, let me ask you this, Sam: Who leaves Michigan at the end of their career as the number one overall score from the group of Houston and Jubati and Buffkin and Collins and Barnes and Will Shutter? Who leaves? <laughs> And, and remember, somebody may leave early. So yeah. who do you think at the end of their career will have the most points? You come up with these fun questions, Tim. It's a fun question. And I got to tell you, I, you know, I, I think this guy is going to affect Michigan earlier than I expected and in more ways than I expected. And I'm going to go with Kobe Bufkin. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with Kobe Bufkin. I, I, I think when the dust settles – I think he's going to be not only the top scorer from this group because I think he'll probably be in college a little longer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe a year longer than a Caleb Houston and a Musa Giabate. Um, but because I think he's more ready to compete right away than I anticipated. And I, I'm sure we can get into this later, but he, he has put – he has dedicated himself in the weight room. Uh, he is also a guy that can affect your team – as a, as a, you know, he's a combo. He's a true combo. Fancies himself. You ask him, I think he'll tell you, you know, he's, he's a point guard too. And I think Michigan, I, as a matter of fact, I know. I know the coaches are looking at Kobe Bufkin and they're saying he factors into the point guard mix too. So I've went from thinking Kobe Bufkin would be, uh, you know, kind of a guy who got Zeb Jackson minutes as a freshman. 
then became a contributor as a as a sophomore and became a guy as a junior. I've moved that up. I think he's a contributor as a freshman and a guy as a sophomore. Now, the question will then be how much of a guy? Enough of a guy to make a jump after year two? Or does he have to come back one more year for year three? Uh, either way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the gamble, and I'm going to say he's going to wind up being the guy that's the leading scorer from the bunch. Good, good, good. Yeah, you did a good job there. And and I also think that, that who's going to get those minutes behind Caleb Houston? I, I think that, that Kobe Bufkin is right there, right? <laughs> yeah, man. We'll, we'll, we'll break him down. We'll break him down. But I want first to bring Phil Hubbard on, a two-time guest now here on the Michigan Basketball Insider and a guy, Tim, that I've heard you talk about him before. This is one of your heroes, one of the guys that you looked up to. Yeah, so so let's go back in time. I'm at the Johnny Orr basketball camp, and and I was mesmerized because every night the the Michigan basketball players would scrimmage each other, and and I sat there with my jaw just hanging, just dropping down. Steve Grody, John Robinson, Wayman Britt, Ricky Green, and Phil Hubbard, and I watched them. I I couldn't even imagine getting good enough that I could ever play at that level. These guys were so big and strong and they played so hard. And that was one of my just favorite basketball memories growing up. Um, and that's really where the whole dream started. And it, it progressed to the point that when I was a freshman, um, the Pistons would come up to Chrysler Arena before training camp. And I got a chance to play against Isaiah Thomas and, you know, and, and Kent Benson and, Terry Tyler and John Long and Terry Durod and but it was Phil Hubbard that I wanted to play against and cover and and this was a, a meaningless scrimmage right just trying to get in shape and he killed me he destroyed me he was so he was so smart and savvy and and so I have just held Phil Hubbard in such high esteem since I was a little boy yeah well he is one of the greatest to ever do it in the maze and blue. And now one of the assistants at Paul the Sixth down in Fairfax, Virginia. That is the school that Doug McDaniel plays for. And here is Phil Hubbard, now two-time guest, one of the greatest ever wear uniform here in Ann Arbor for the maze and blue. Phil, how are you? I'm good, guys. I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah, Phil, you, um, you're you absolutely flat out a hero to me. Um, when I went to Michigan's basketball camp as an 11-year-old, I listened to you talk to the campers, and you talked about how your three goals were to play at Michigan, to play in the Olympics, and to play in the NBA. And that immediately became my goal um, as an 11-year-old. So that was very impactful to me, and it's great to have you on here. And you know, we, we, we talk a little bit about your, your, your coaching and, and how many good players you're working with. I was just kind of curious. You, you played center at Michigan at 6'8", 215. And, and I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Like Franz Wagner is 6'9", 220 today, and he's a right. small forward. You know, when you look at the evolution of the position and you watch Hunter Dickinson, what do you see as the future for big men? Well, I think we had – still got a real valuable part of the game of, you know, valuable piece to the game. It just depends on, you know, the skill level, you know, they just don't pound it inside like we used to, you know, but I think today's bigs, they can put the ball on the floor. They can shoot from the outside. They can pass, you know, they have a, a 
of multiple things they they can do. You know, then oh, just be just be locked into. You got to be a post player. You got to run to the post. You got to run straight down the court. But you know, it's just the evolution has been just amazing. You know, for the big man, and but it's still a spot for the big man because, again, when you need a basket, you need to slow the game down. You don't want to go inside, and then you know maybe he throws it, gets a double team, kicks it back out. But you know that that part of the game is still valuable and will always be valuable to your team if you can have a solid big man. Yeah, you um you you spent a lot of time in the NBA as a player, but also as an assistant coach and a scout. Um, before we get into Doug McDaniel, uh, I'm curious if you break down Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner. Um, you know, who do you think of those two will be a better pro? And, and if you could give us a little scouting report on them, I'd be curious. I, I think, you know, it's hard to say who would be a better pro, you know, without addition. Some, you know, I think they both can be good pros. And I think they both have a, a pro game, you know, where they got outside, inside, uh, put the ball on the floor, create baskets for it itself. And, you know, even play hard defense, defend. But the thing about, I, I think, which is the key to any young player trying to get to the next level, is to get to the right situation. I think, you know, to get some minutes. I think they both can play in this league, but, you know, if one goes in the second round, one goes in the first round, the trip is going to be a little longer for one of them, you know, because it's just it's just the opportunity they give you when you're in the first round, the opportunity they give you in the second round is a whole lot different. So I think that both players are, are NBA players. I think that they, they have a skill set. They can, both of them can shoot. They can put the ball on the floor. They run the floor well. They play solid defense. I mean, it, it, it were two bookend forwards that we really, you know, had this year. And I think they both bring something to the table. But, again, I think Fong is probably a little bit ahead of Livers, um, even before the injury. But Livers had moved up. But I think Fong, when you look at the um, pre-draft stuff or any kind of news about the draft, Fong is, is in, like, the top 15, you know. So I think right now he has a, he has a leg up on livers, but I think liver will be a good pro and I think that he can help a team. But, you know, again, the key is if you're not in the first round to, to go to the right team. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to Phil Hubbard here on the Michigan basketball insider. So Phil, the last time we had you on, we were asking you about a Michigan target who decided to go a different route in, in Trevor Keels, but you're one of the top programs uh, in the DMV, of course. And so, no surprise that Michigan was right back at your school, Paul the Six, recruiting Doug McDaniel and eventually got a commitment from Dougie. So kind of break down his game. Pretend for a second that, you know, I'm a coach or a scout in the stands and I'm watching Doug McDaniel on the court. Kind of break down his game. Tell me what I'll see. Well, I think what you'll see first is a, a lot of tenacity, you know, a hard nose for a guy his size, you know, getting after it, being tough. But his quickness, he's, he's very quick. You know, he gets up and down the floor. He's gotten really a lot better, I would say, since the two years I've been with him at running the team and putting guys in scoring position and improving his jump shot, you know, from the outside. But, again, um, he does such a, a good job of making some of those little floaters too. But i just I just seen the improvement, the improvement I've seen him make, the steps, you know, the stride he's made in the last couple of years of his game being able to play with Trevor, being able to play with Jeremy Roach, uh, two high-level players that he had to give them the ball. I mean, I think they were the number one option, and Doug was probably second option, but um, 
he's really made an advancement in his game, you know, and he, he brings a lot of cockiness to the court, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, he brings it. He brings it. I mean, you see a little guy that he's not, he's not going to back down. He's going to bring a lot of cockiness. He's going to bring a lot of toughness and uh, he's going to get after it. I mean, so I, I think uh, he was being recruited by a lot of high level schools, um, LSU, Virginia Tech, um, in this area, Georgetown. So, you know, he, he's not he's not he's not a, a you know a player that wasn't known on the basketball scene. But Juwan, his staff did such a nice job. And you know, I, I always plug the guys. You know, to go to Michigan. I tell everybody to go to Michigan. But as I tell a player too, you you go there. You have to be make sure it's the right place for you because it was definitely the right place for me and Tim. But you know, again, we want everybody to come there. But again, we, we want it to be the right place for you. And Doug got there and felt that way that it's the right place for him. And that's why he probably chose Michigan along with Juwan's staff and the way they recruited him. Um, it's just I, I'm, I'm excited uh, for him. I'm excited for the University of Michigan to let him come into the family. And I, and I think the, the biggest thing that, that we'll get is a tough little guy. He, he's, he's, he's not as tall as we'd like him to be, but he's tough. He, yeah. He's very tough. And he's, and, he, and he's very quick and he's solid. Hey man, look look as a not so tall guy myself, I can I can appreciate uh, the tenacity. Uh, listening to you describe him, it, it reminds me a lot of the description of of Xavier Simpson. And there's this saying where I come from, and I know it's not PC, and everyone knows I'm a dog lover, but look, there, there's this saying: it's not the size of the dog in the fight; it's the size of the fight in the dog. And and he. At least watching Doug, I see a lot of that same sort of temperament and the same yeah. kind of influence on the rest of the team that I saw in Xavier Simpson. Do you see that in him as well? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good comparison. You know, I, I think there's, you know, we've had a number of great small guards that have been to Michigan, especially in the last few years. You know, Trey came through there, Xavier came through there. Uh, so we, we had solid, you know, solid uh, small guards that have done a good thing of running the team. So I think the comparison is is definitely warranted. Worn you know that you gave him that that comparison. I think that I could live with that without being because Xavier had a great career. But I think Doug's uh, a little better outside shooter, mm-hmm. but he still can improve it. And uh, I think that uh, you know I, I thought Xavier could dunk too, though. So you know I couldn't say because Doug definitely can dunk, man. Oh yeah, Xavier could X, X could dunk. Xavier got up. Xavier yeah. got up too, and, and so you know. But we we we've been known in the last few years to get a nice solid uh, guard in the size doesn't really matter because they bring a lot of toughness and hype with them no matter what their size is. You know, it's interesting, Phil, because I, I've never been a fan of having small point guards, but one thing mm-hmm. that I've learned, and maybe you can comment on this, that if you've got a slow-down half-court team, then a small point guard's an issue because he gets isolated. But mm-hmm. it looks like defensively, he's got the ability to change tempo all by himself with the ball pressure. Can, can you talk about what he does on the defensive end, and, and maybe is he able to hide that that lack of size? Oh, no doubt. You know, I think the coaching staff, you know, at Paul Six, at Glenn Carell, they've done a nice job of replay fast. I mean, extremely fast. I mean, Paul Six plays extremely fast for a high school team. I mean, it, it's up and down. You score, we right back at you. So we we, we push we, – they pride – we pride ourselves in playing at a fast pace. So Doug, Doug understands that. So that means also we have to press a lot. We will we'll press a lot too. So he'll get up and put pressure on the ball and try to change the game but that way. So we we do a lot of scrambling, a lot of things to keep that game at a fast pace. So I think Doug understands that he's been in that system for four for four years now. And uh he's very good at setting tempo and you know, and also can set up for the half court too. But again, 
you know, it does create, like you said, Tim, uh, sometimes when they have the bigger guards, the bigger guards will try to post him up. But he takes that, I will tell you this, he takes that personally. He takes mm-hmm. that personally. You know, he gets to fighting in there and trying to front, you know, try to do his thing. But, you know, again, he, he's, he's been through that, you know. He plays for a high-level uh, AAU team, so I'm sure he's, he's seen some post-ups uh, in, in, in our, before. Yeah, Hub, when, um, when you were recruited out of high school, you're from Canton. I'm sure Ohio State wanted you bad a lot of teams throughout the, the midwest um what what was it about the, the 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 university of michigan that you fell in love with and what was it that, that you said to doug mcdaniel can you can you give us an example of a sales pitch of, of what you might say um about the university of michigan uh yeah i tell doug doug is a great well the thing i told doug was you know i think doug you're gonna you really fit in good there i think i think i see you in that i was giving that i see you in that amazing blue uniform you know did you see the game last night I, I was always getting a little hints you know not trying to overkill it because you know you, you want a kid to be fair but I'm, I'm pushing you they saw that game last night you know I, I give them my little sales pitch every time we came in we had a nice game or we had a nice run you know I said you know you see yourself doing that don't you he kind of smile you know he smiled but uh you know it, it was it was a, a modest push you know because you don't want to just beat him up every day you know, but you want to beat him up enough, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, but you want him to make the right decision for him too. Cause I, I, I still keep, you know, cause we, you know, you want a player to go there. You know, I think that, as I tell Doug, you know, no matter where you go, you know, the biggest thing is to be happy. And uh, I think you'll be happy if you come to the university of Michigan, you know, and I, I think you will, but you know, still that's your, it's your decision because I, I, I didn't realize, I knew he was coming for the trip for the visit. And I knew that he had some other visits he had did check, I think, uh, maybe a week before. And he had Florida. And, he, and I said, well, he said he was going to make the decision in the, in the middle of July. And, uh, hey, he, once he got to Ann Arbor and Juwan uh, and them, you know, the staff and everybody showed him how, how nice. You know, then he got he got some D.C. players there, Terrence, and you got Hunter there. You know, Hunter, he comes back, you know, that's been speaking to him, too. So, you know, he. The influence was there that, you know, that so he had some, a, com- a comfort zone, you know, that even though it's a, a long way from D.C., uh, the district, but um, there's a comfort zone there, too, with the two players they already recruited the previous season. But uh, as I tell Doug all the time, you're going to look good in that amazing blue, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, hey, Phil, there is another guy. I mean, there's always going to be guys at Paul the Six, right? So. Yeah, I yeah, haven't. We got, we got more players. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, about Michigan really being in strong with your other guy, Deshaun Harris Smith. But I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if if they move in on that front in the twenty twenty three class. So, what can you tell us about his game? I, I think Deshaun, uh, another guy that you know, but he got size. He's Deshaun's about what six six, about six six. You know, gonna be a forward a guard. You know, he he's a. Uh, Really got to really needs to improve his outside shot, which he's working on. But his his court, his awareness for the game, his defense tenacity, getting on people, jogging other people, you know, running the team. Now he you know he moves up a level because you know after leave, you know losing Trevor, everybody gets to move up one. Doug moves up one. Deshaun moves up one. You know to being the second guy now behind Doug. You know so now he's comes into light and he's had already had about six or seven offers in the last month. But I think, you know, his game is that he's really good on defense, uh, got, can get to the basket, drives very strongly, finishes with both hands, uh, can knock down the open shot. He's improved that part of his game a little bit once he gets that. He has, he has time to do that. 
but you know I've seen him grow too. You know, as starting to be a leader of the team. You know, coming from a sophomore going to junior, you know, showing leadership qualities and show, you know trying to be the next guy in line. So, but he he definitely fits um, uh, Michigan if they you know if they have the idea once they get done. But no, Juwan is having such a great recruiting year. I, I, you know, I think it, I just saw where he committed to a guy out of I think it's Kyle out of Massachusetts. So we 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 getting we getting our name in a lot of the hats, you know, putting our name in a lot of hats here, you know, which is good. You know, you never know about these players. So uh, it's good to have players um, to, to want to come to Michigan. It's good to be able to get an offer from Michigan. I think now it carries a lot of weight. Yeah, and one 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 more specific question about Doug. You mentioned improving his outside shot. Uh, that is going to help him in a, a crucial element of the game that I'm sure you guys, you everyone uses, uh, ball screen action, pick and roll. How is he in the two man game? How is how is Doug in in, in pick and roll situations? Uh, Doug, Doug is pretty good in pick and roll situations. You know, I, I think as I told you before, you know, when I first got there, I think I see I've seen him get better and better every year. We you know with the pick and rolls, with the outside shot, but he. He can get to the basket and he can make he makes nice passes. He sees the floor very well and he's very good at controlling and getting into the roll, man, or getting into the pop, man, or uh, you know, or finishing at the basket and dropping it off. So I mean he he has a really good feel of making plays, you know, of, of making plays off that two man game, you know, which I've seen it elevate, you know, since I've been there. His his game is elevated to a level that, you know, when I first got there, I was like, well, Doug needs to do this. Now I see it, that Doug's made those progress. He spent some time in the gym. He's improved his two-man game. And he's improved his outside shooting. And, you know, his defense was always solid. So, again, his two-man game is, is, is you know, the, I think it's solid. I think it's solid. All right, keep that recruiting up, Phil. And, and you know what, I, um, I, I've, I've got two more quick questions about your career okay. because – um, I remember the 76 national championship game. You were a freshman, Quinn Buckner, mm-hmm. Kent Benson, Bobby Knight. What do you remember about that game? Uh, the bad part, we didn't win it. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do remember just, you know, thinking that, you know, you'll get there every year. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what you think as a freshman. You get there the first time you say, well, we can do this again. That, you know, how you think that it's going to revolve to every year. You know what I'm saying? I think. That's the one thing I thought, you know, if we don't get it this year, we can get it next year. You know, it just you just feel like uh, you'll get there every year. I think that's what what it does for you. But, you know, again, things happen. But I, I remember that. But I, I remember, too, that we were close, but we still was far away because we couldn't, you know, couldn't get the deal. You always just say, I wish we could go back and replay that game. You know, what would we do different? We have a better second half. <laughs> but, you know, the thing was they, they, they were solid. They have been solid all year. You can't take it away from them. But, you know, I really would like to hear it. You know, like the team that got undefeated, they all get hit at undefeated. I like to be the team that got beat one time. That would, like, <laughs> that would have been what I like. But, but I think the most thing I remember is that you feel got to, I got to feel that we could do that next year. You know, and I think that's, I remember that. But I remember too that we came up short the most. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. And my final question you had a great 10 year career. Um, and I know you played against Kareem and Michael, Jordan, and so on. But, Who's the guy that that just you know every time you saw him you thought oh I gotta cover him again like who who is the best player that you played against or maybe the guy that would be surprising that was just really tough to deal with? There's only two guys really I think in forward position you you have to say Bernard King that was always going to be your work was cut out 
you know, because he was getting the ball. He was shooting 25 times. If you was on him, you were going to get it. And then the other one was Larry Bird. Mm. You know, they, they were going to get it, man. They, they were getting the ball. They were shooting it. I mean, you know, and, and the thing you learn is that, hey, I, I used to tell him, look, Larry, because Larry, I've been, I was knowing Larry. Larry was a big, uh, big uh, talker, you know. Said, yeah, you know, he talked. I said, yeah, Larry, but, you know, I guess, too, I get, I'll be having a lot more points, too, if I shot it 30 times. <laughs> you know, but it don't matter. I'm still going to, I'm still going to bake you. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it, it just, he just was, it was tough, man. There was two guys, two forwards you really didn't want to match up with, but you had to because, but, you know, you took it as a challenge and you took it as, you know, uh, a battle that you were going to be in. But, you know, again, uh, when the offense was centered around them, I mean, you know, just, just getting touches. They're getting touches. I mean, you know, you I'm shooting maybe 12 times a game. They're shooting 25, 30. I mean, so, you you know, you just – I hope that I can make eight of my 12, you know, but they, they you know, they're going to get their 20. If you keep them to 20, not let them get 40 on you or something like that, then you've done a good job. You just say you don't want to – you don't want to – I didn't want to be the guy that they got 40 on. So, I know I didn't have – I didn't have a lot of nights like that. I will say that. But they didn't get 30, but they didn't get that 40. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey Phil, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day, man. You got one. Yeah, we got one, man. We got one. We got. They got a lot of them. I think you know, I'm really looking forward to this year to be able to come back and see a game in person. You know, uh, that'd be nice to see uh, the young guys that come in off Juwan this year. It's going to be exciting. I think it'll be exciting. I, I think they've done it. He's done a great job. I'm, I'm just looking forward to just coming down and enjoying the game and seeing Michigan get back to that. Uh, National, hopefully, they get back to that national championship game. You know, there were a couple, a couple, a couple buckets here, a couple buckets there. You know, but you can't, you can't underestimate. So I look forward to that. Thanks, Hub. All right, thanks, guys. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Boy, was it great once again to catch up with the great Phil Hubbard and some some great stories. I know we talked a lot about Doug, but I loved hearing him talk about going against Larry Bird and Bernard King and all the trash that especially Larry Bird used to talk. <laughs> Phil's got a, a great a, a great lineage, um, you know, All-American High School, All-American in college. If he did not blow out his knee, he had a chance to be an all-star in the NBA. That was the trajectory of his course. And and then as a, an NBA assistant, as an NBA scout, as a high school coach, he, he's seen so much. And just listening to him talk, he's one of those guys who just has the the through-the-roof basketball IQ. And and so it was a real pleasure to to listen to him 
And I also, whatever, whatever misconceptions I ever had about can Doug McDaniel play in the big 10 because he's so small. I, I, I don't have those worries anymore. Cause if Phil Hubbard says he can play, he can play. I just got a real quick question for you, Tim. You got all kinds of stories. Who, who, whose trash talk ever got to you? Who, who did you go up against? It, it wasn't just their game. Is that they talked a good game too, and it kind of got under your skin from time to time. No, it was Bird. It was, <laughs> it was no, it was Larry Bird. Um, so, so I was covering Larry Bird. There was a pick and roll. Um, Philadelphia 76ers, Boston Celtics. You know, right, right down the, the stretch, tied for first place in, in the um, Atlantic. And they, um, there was a, a pick and roll and I switched on to Larry Bird and there was like 12 seconds left in the game and we're all tied up and Larry Bird looked at me. He looked right in my eyes and he saw how serious I was and he started laughing. He honestly <laughs> laughed in my face. Like, this is the biggest moment of my career. Games on national TV. I'm covering Larry Bird to have a chance to, to force the game into overtime. And he gave me a, a ball fake and a shot fake, and I went for it. He blew right by me and laid it in, and we lost. And, and really, that's what was supposed to happen, right? I mean, I'm seven foot. I'm not used to covering anybody on the perimeter, let alone Larry Bird. So, yeah, Larry Bird was the greatest trash talker. <laughs> I've heard. I mean, he's the king. Everyone says the same thing. Larry Bird talked more trash than anyone in the NBA. All right, so, Tim, you know, you say you value – Phil Hubbard's, uh, you know, analysis, uh, player breakdowns. I have that same reverence for your breakdown. So I sent you a couple of clips of Kobe Bufkin as he prepares to begin his Michigan career. Uh, he had an open run session with Imani Bates. And it's, it's important to note that these aren't like, you know, games, but they're, they're it's competition. This is iron sharpens iron. These are guys going against each other in practice-like settings. So there is some seriousness to it, and I'm curious. I'm curious what you thought. I'll give you my, you know, my take, and then you give me your expert response. Because the first clip I sent you was Kobe and Amani Bates, and everyone knows Amani Bates might be the best player in the country, you know, regardless of class. And watching them go back and forth in those clips, it just didn't look like there was much of a cap that day. I mean, Kobe was giving it to him however he wanted. I mean, threes. You know, hesitation, dribble, crossover, get to the rim, finish through contact, finish over, half hook. You saw it all. And then even more impressive, though, was the second clip I sent you because he was going against Jaden Hardy. And the reason why I found it more impressive because Jaden Hardy is a grown man. Like, Amani mm -hmm. Bates is a long guy, you know, a long, talented guy. But Jaden Hardy right now is a grown man NBA body. And when I say Kobe was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, all those same things, you know, hesitation, dribble, hesitation, dribble, crossover, step back three, get to the rim, half hook, you know, finish through contact, was giving it right back to him. And I, seeing that, it, it feeds into my opinion that I said before, I, you know, I'm not expecting a dude to come in and be Hunter Dickinson, you know, Big Ten freshman of the year, but I no longer think he's going to just be a, guy who plays every two or three games for Michigan, I think he's going to be a contributor as a, as a freshman. And I'm curious, based on what you see from him, if you think that's unreasonable to expect. Yeah, a couple thoughts. Um, first of all, if I was going to have a son right now, I'd name Jaden. Jaden Akins, <laughs> Jaden Hardy, Jaden Bradley. Like, 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 that name's working right now. 
right? Um, um, so, so there wasn't a lot of defense played. Right. <laughs> there was none. Um, it was a glorified layup line, but but still the plays were made, and Kobe Buffkin looked bigger and longer than I anticipated. Um, he, well, he's what, 6'4", 170, 75 or so. He looked bigger and stronger and more athletic. Um, he had a, a vast array of plays off the dribble, but his jump shot looked great. I'm never, I'm never loving lefty shooters for some reason. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I'm not, you know, it just looks different to me, but his jump shot pure and he, um, he's thin and his body can put on a lot. And so he looked ready. He, he looks ready for the stage, very creative. And I just think he's going to contribute right away. Yeah, I admit, uh, and I, I want to, you know, full disclosure, because we had his AAU coach on on the podcast here, I want to say, uh, you know, man, it was over a year ago now. And he came on, and he was like, man, Kobe is, I think, one of the top 10 players in the country. I think he's going to play right away. And, I, you know, coaches talk their players up, and I treated it like that. Not that I didn't think Kobe would be a player. I just didn't think physically, to your point, Tim, I didn't think physically he was going to be ready to go as a freshman. He has dedicated himself in a way. He is a bigger dude physically. So now if he crosses you over, now if he hits you with a hesitation and gets you on his hip, you can't knock him off his dribble with a little physicality. And if he gets to the rim uh, and you body him, he can finish through that contact now. Those are things that Kobe Bufkin – wasn't doing you know a year ago things you couldn't anticipate him doing as a freshman because he wasn't big enough physically to do those things he is now you're right it was a glorified layup line but he was making these layups uh over and through some really really talented guys i think that bodes well for michigan and what he could potentially bring to them probably off the bench uh, as a as a freshman contributor for the Wolverines. So it'd be interesting to see, interesting to see. But as, as I watched him, my first response was, wow, he looks a little bit like Bernard Robinson, you know, kind of long and lanky. And then I thought, well, wait a sec, he shoots better than Bernard and he's better off the dribble. And I like his, his, his finishing ability better than Bernard. Like he, he's, he's got the look. I I really like him. Yeah. He's coming along. So he's coming along and all these players, Tim, and I got to get your thoughts on this before we get done with this podcast. All these players are coming along at a time where they are absolutely going to be able to capitalize on their name, on their image, on their likeness. The NCAA, the division one council forwarded a, an initiative earlier this week. And it'll probably, by the time people hear this podcast, will probably have been passed that in any state that does not have an NIL law, institutions in that state are going to be able to write their own NIL rules. So that means all the incoming freshmen this year are going to be able to capitalize on name, image, likeness. I wonder what you think this means for players. I wonder what you think this means for college basketball, hell, intercollegiate, intercollegiate athletics uh, what does it mean for for fan support what do you think of all of that well it's a great concept sam and it's so mismanaged and i'm actually embarrassed for the ncaa that they're the leading authority for college athletics and they're sending the message guys go ahead make your own rules we'll we'll, we'll adjust to you i was on a call um last week with five ncaa reps and the topic was nil 
And, and I was just, I, I wanted to find out their thinking based on the top 100 campus coming up. What information do we give to our athletes? Um, I think it's critical that the college athletes and the high school athletes know the rules. And the NCAA reps basically said they will not discuss the topic. And they're the experts. Right. Um, I think they're in a really horrible position. Uh, it's been sloppy and disorganized and unfair and disproportionate. Um, make your own rules, guys, whatever. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and so basically, I think that if, if I'm in college, I'm going to give my greatest recruits a Ram truck and um, <laughs> a, a, like a like a really nice summer job and unlimited food allowances at restaurants, whatever their favorite restaurant is, and a job for the parents and a scholarship for brother and sister and a deal with a clothing store. And And guess what? The, the all state shooting guard that's coming into and is really good. He probably gets nothing. You know, you're going to be recruiting against whoever is offering the best deal. And Sam, when, when I was in high school, before my, my freshman year, I worked 40 hours a week. I, I had a job and I, I punched the clock and I got minimum wage. And, and, and after work, I would, I would try to get my workouts with basketball afterward. Um, but when I walked onto campus, I had I had very little money. And I can remember as a freshman, I had a 14-year-old Honda Civic that had a hole in the floor. And I was devastated when I got a flat tire and I needed a new alternator because it took my summer earnings down below $200. And I didn't know how I was going to make it through the whole year. Today, I can promise you this, that when I left Clarkson High School, um, I had a good following there. And my first year in the NBA, I went back and had a basketball camp. And I had 100 kids, and, and they each paid $100. And I walked away with $10,000 without even trying, you know. And, and today, I would, I would have that same camp. And, and I can tell you this, that would have been the worst thing for me to be 18 years old and to have access to that type of money. I would have not learned to appreciate the value of a dollar. It would have been too much too soon. It would have affected my attitude and my hunger. I, I just wasn't mature enough to be able to handle that notoriety and that money. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge concern that I have for what's going to happen this year with NIL. And a legitimate concern, I think, I, I think though, it increases the challenge and the responsibility for the institutions on two fronts. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what I think is vital uh, it should be at the forefront for a place like Michigan. You write your own rules, right? You need to have um, a sort of a clearinghouse. Like, so the NCAA has approved agents to represent Hunter Dickinson, right? For that process, I think the schools were counting on the NCAA showing some leadership. Like, you're going to have some sort of clearinghouse, some sort of sanctioning system or body that would screen representatives for NIL. NCAA isn't going to do that. Michigan needs to do that. Because I can tell you right now, high school recruits, their parents, they're being contacted right now by by people saying, I'm going to represent you. I'm going to take this percentage, and you keep that, and I can get you this deal. I can get you that deal. You have no idea how reputable or if this person is reputable at all. So Michigan, I think, needs to have that list. And then to your point, I mean, if you have a list of, of representatives, have a list of approved accountants as well. Because, I mean, you're going to have some parents who feel like they don't need representation, but managing this money, 
you know, helping student athletes with that. Because every student athlete is going to be able to go back to their to their high school, go back to Clarkston or Central and put on a camp and make some money. They might not get the the, four, the Dodge Ram, but they'll be able to do the camp. Everyone will be able to do the camp. So how do they manage that money? I think institutions being mindful of that new challenge is going to be a big, big deal. And hopefully Michigan takes that as part of their NIL sort of policymaking moving forward. It's going to be like the Wild West. And, and Sam, remember when you were in high school and you went into the cafeteria and they had one of those college fairs where yep. you know all the schools were there and they gave you a pencil or an eraser with their name on it? Um, I, I could imagine the same thing with NIL, you know, a, a job fair where you walk in and there's Google and Hydromatic and Domino's and IBM and they're ready to write a check. And, um, you know, I, it's it's so ridiculous, though, because. Most players aren't going to get anything. Do you think anybody is lining up to 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 have an autograph signing at Buffalo Wild Wings with Zeb Jackson? I I don't think so. Yeah, I, I um, guess I guess for for me, Tim, and you would be able to speak to this better than than me because you've you've been you've played at every level. But I, I just I don't see the difference between that and when you step into a pro locker room. You know, not everyone's going to get Giannis's you know, endorsement deals, you know, you, you don't have, or, or when, when Kay Cunningham comes to the Pistons, you know, you got guys on that roster, Saban Lee's not going to get what Kay Cunningham gets. I, I, I think this is in part, and then even in the real world, you know, you step into the, the work arena, not like everyone's getting paid the same salary, you know, has the same opportunities within their company structure. So, you're you're learning that now. Does it make the challenge of a college team, coaching a college team, managing a college team more difficult than ever? It absolutely does. But I just think, you know, the NCAA did it to itself when it took upon sort of a, a, a professional. They're, they're professional in every way except with how players are compensated. Coaches are compensated at a professional level administrators are making million dollars. Mark Emmerich pulls down $3 million a year, and his solution to NIL was you guys make your own rules. I'm like, what are you getting $3 million for if you guys yeah. can't come up with this rule? So I think the NCAA did this to themselves. They did. They did. But And, and I think it's going to be a huge problem in the locker room. Um, as an example, my freshman year, Dan Pelicudis and MC Burton and Dean Hobson did not have a car. But if if I rolled in and they said, my God, that's a beautiful Audi. Where where'd you get that? Oh, my man, Howard Cooper gave it to me. Like that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be an issue. And then what happens if one of those guys takes my job? Like they should have access to my car. You know, like 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 the, the big producers should be able to to command more respect. I think it's gonna be a big deal. If if a player gets a thousand dollars, are they going to to put you know forty percent of it away for taxes? Because that's gonna be a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the cheaters are going to now have more freedom to do whatever they want. And, and then right now, high school families all over the place have their palm out, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get taken care of. Yeah, it, it is, and it, there are absolute challenges without quiz. This is not a panacea. It's not like, you know, you, you, are, you are welcoming a new set of problems. But it, it, in a sense of fairness, I mean, you're with all this money that was flowing into the sport. I just don't see how they were ever going to get away with not allowing for some increased compensation for players. And the NCAA should have been ahead of this. 
It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't I, have I, to be. It doesn't have to be the Wild West. But they dragged their feet for so long. Now, now they can't. They feel like they can't do anything but sit idly by and let the institutions do what they want. So this is where I'll, I'll close with this, Tim. You laid out this scenario where the cheaters are going to cheat, and you're right. They're just going to find a new way to, to cheat. But Michigan, with the largest living alumni, with billionaire, so many billionaire, you know, alums and and millionaire alums. I just think the opportunity for Michigan to compete legally with the cheaters is better than it's ever been. That the opportunities for a Michigan far surpass most other institutions out there and that they could use this NIL write your own rule policy to their advantage. I agree. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to come down like I'm, I'm, um, I'm against this. I think it's the right time to do it. I just wish that there would have been rules in place so that there's no guesswork yeah. right now. Everybody's scrambling to try to put together a policy without knowing the rules. Yeah. And, 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 and I will say this, when I say that the cheaters are going to have a big advantage, nobody's going to go on probation for anything they do now. <laughs> right. Like if, if, yeah. if they came out and said, well, oh, we didn't know you couldn't do that because there are no rules. <laughs> that, that's that's the problem. So, right. Right. It gets back good. to my point. So what is the NCAA doing right now? Like they, they suspended amateurism. What are they doing? I have no idea. I mean, I, I told you I was on a call with five of them and they would not even talk about it. They will not address it because they don't know. They're they're waiting for they're they're waiting for word from their bosses. Hey man, I want I want Mark Emmert's job. You could get paid three million dollars and you don't have any responsibility. <laughs> you would you would you wouldn't trade your WTK for his job. I think you just you just love what you do. Hey. I wouldn't, well I wouldn't trade working with my guy, Tim McCormick, that's for sure. <laughs> so another fun podcast. Uh, look, Always look forward to it, Tim. It's going to be fun when we come back around, man. Thanks a lot for joining me, even in the middle of the summer. Yeah, go blue, Sam. All right, folks, we'll see you next time on the Michigan Basketball Insider. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.